0: This week on Way Too Interested, we're talking sneaker culture with Heather Ann Campbell. Join us! So your hobby went from borderline to totally obsessive. is gonna find out how you got Way Too Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Gavin Purcell. Uh, I just turned away from the mic real quick and you can hear, wow, it's very different that way, isn't it? Not as good. Welcome to the show. This is Way Too Interested. This is the show where I talk to people that I find interesting and we do a deep dive on something that they're semi-obsessed with um, outside of their everyday lives. Oh, I should also say you. Maybe you know this already. We then talk to an expert in the subject matter today. I've got an amazing writer, performer, producer, podcaster, Heather Ann Campbell, who's very funny, uh, talking about her recent fascination with sneaker culture. Um, Heather has an amazing podcast. So you'll hear us talk about about video games. And has been in the uh, creative space for quite a while. Also has a really interesting story that she started to do stand-up pretty early in her life as a teenager. And I always find that interesting because, as you'll hear me say, um, it's freaking scary to get up in front of people, to me at least. And I'm always amazed that young people can do it. Um, So anyway, you'll hear this in a second. And then later on, we have a great guest expert diving deeper into sneaker culture and kind of telling us about how sneaker culture developed, about the drop system, all the things that you'll find kind of fascinating, whether you know about it or not. So take a listen. Uh, Hey, I'm here with Heather. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Very good. I'm so happy you're here. Um, Before we get started, I want to chat with you about um, your very fun podcast, which is now called... Get Played, formally. How Did This Get Played, with a friend of mine, Nick Weiger. So first of all, the podcast is about, originally was about playing bad video games, and now it seems like it's expanded to other video games. But have you been uh, playing video games for a long time?
1: Yeah, uh, I've been a r- really intense gamer my whole life, and even did a stint as a video game journalist for a few years. Um, So I was in Me the too. industry. Oh, nice! I was.
0: I, yeah, I was at G four for five years. So, oh. I yeah, it, that's kind of journalism, kind of not.
1: No, right? I mean, like the whole industry is just a, a PR function of the corporate wing of any video game publisher or distributor. So, G four or Play Magazine, where I worked, or Geek Monthly, or what they're all basically just. You get a press release, and you play the game, and you sort of combine the two. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was a lot
0: of bad games that were made over the course of video games, right? So it must be fun as a game journalist to kind of go back and look at stuff that was not very good, because there's a lot of stuff there, and be able to kind of say, talk about it for what it is. Because in the game industry, when it first comes out, you often get a lot of shit for saying stuff about, saying if a game is bad or not.
1: I think... For the most part, I mean, we played the worst and weirdest. So, like, we played weird games, and th- that was a little bit more, I don't know, th- th- there's more to talk about if a game is just strange. But for the worst games, we were playing games that were universally, like, regarded as terrible, like, zero out of 10 on review crew, like, you you remember on GamePro, there was, like, five faces. Yeah, And one of them was, like, a guy who wanted to commit suicide and another guy was, like, really happy. Uh, Like, the guy that wanted to kill himself was the games that we were playing. But the truth is, none of us really enjoy ragging on something, even if it's terrible, that a huge number of people have invested their time and energy in and we would try and find positives in the games, even if they were just dog shit.
0: Even Superman 64, you were able to yeah, find we, something positive?
1: I mean, we <laughs> played Superman 64, and there were things that was like, okay, I guess the flying is kind of fun. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's a hard one. It's a hard one to love. I will say that.
1: Yeah, but now the format of the, uh, of the thing is more open-ended. We're getting to play stuff that we we actually enjoy, we're getting to play stuff that we're passionate about or have a history with. And that I think will make the podcast more engaging both for us and for listeners.
0: That's awesome. Oh, okay. Well, let's I want to talk a little bit about you. So you did a lot of creative work in your career. You've been an actor. You've been an improv artist. That's what you call an improv. I don't know what do you call an improv person? Improv artist?
1: Improviser? Maybe Improviser. is the word you're that's, looking
0: that's, for. <laughs> that's, that's the word I'm looking for. And you've been a writer. Um, what kind of led you down that path in the first place? Did, you know, you've obviously mentioned you have some history of video games, but like how did you get involved with the creative path?
1: Well I have always been a nerd and I think that in high school, like early high school, I didn't have shared interests with any of my peer group. Like, you know, I would sort of performatively be interested in makeup or performatively be interested in a TV show that everybody was watching. But the truth was that none of it was entertaining to me and none of it really captured my attention. And I was brought to a comedy club in Chicago where I grew up and I loved it. And I went up to the club owner and was like, Hey, how do I do this? Can I do this? And they were like, yeah, we have like an open mic every Friday night. Like, and we have like open improv sets every Friday night. And I was like, great. And so at midnight on Fridays, my parents would drop me off at a comedy club. And I started doing comedy when I was 14. And That's incredible.
0: That ha- did you must have been so. Like, did you feel f- frightened? Was this terrifying? Scary? <laughs> I
1: was, but not of the stage. Like, once I was on the stage, I also think that there was, and I think I've said this on on my podcast before. So forgive me, listeners, for repeating myself. But I think that I was so young that the transition between the childhood act of playing pretend ah, and the improv creative space that your head has to occupy in order to perform blended from one right into the other. So it was very easy for me to be like, oh, we can be anywhere. I got this. And I felt like initially a lot of the adults were like always setting their scenes in a office or a bar or their house. And I'd be like, it's ancient Rome. It's a castle. <laughs> We're underwater. It's the set of the filming of Abyss. Like it could be anything in the world and that was so that was great. And then from that experience it just sort of avalanched into my modern day occupations in comedy. Like I went from improv theater to professional improviser at Boom Chicago and Amsterdam to writing for Saturday Night Live. And then now writing for Rick and Morty. There's just like one big arc to that journey with a stop along the way when I was desperately broke and I was like, oh, you know what might be great? I could monetize my love of video games and become a video game journalist. (laughs) Turns out that they effectively pay you in chicken nuggets. Like there's... Not a lot of lifestyle money to be made.
0: (laughs) That's for real. And also, at least you get uh, early game access sometimes, right? That's the one benefit you get out of it, I feel like.
1: Sure. I think because of the long lead time on print, like the timing didn't really sync up. Like you'd get a game two weeks before release, but that game would be released two or three weeks after you were published, so I don't know how magazines do it. Like
0: oh yeah. Especially well, anyway, we can with that let's that'll diverge us for another half an hour <laughs> if we get into the game <laughs> industry stuff. I wanted to get a little bit on what you said there about the transition period between childhood and adulthood and creativity, because one of the things that made me think about was I used to love drawing and I drew a ton. I was a, I was a nerd too. Um, and I grew up in video games and comic books, and I used to draw a lot of comic book stuff, and then there was that period of like high school where in two ways I got from my parents, like drawing is not going to be a career or whatever. And then I also got, you know, the social structure of high school of like trying to fit into stuff. Right. But like, that's such an interesting thing. I've never heard that before about the idea of like avoiding that kind of almost like growing up phase in terms of creativity, because to me, so much of what we do as adults that are creative is try to get back to that, right? It's like, especially when you're in a writer's room or when you're doing comedy, one of the things that's so, so much fun about those rooms is like how it is play, ultimately. Like you're trying to find ways to play with each other. And the more rules you put on it, the more kind of ridiculous it becomes and the harder it becomes to do.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree with that. I think that the entire school system is built like a factory, And it's modeled after, I mean, like literally like Ford factories where you take a child and you drop them into one place and they hammer them in one place and then you drop them into another room and you hammer them in a different direction. And that is an inorganic model of learning and retention. And then the idea that a human being would demonstrate their aptitudes via a series of scanned dots on a test it doesn't get at the depth of creative thinking and it, there's no there's no space for the great potential of a of a kid's mind once it's crushed by this industrial modeled schooling system which I don't know. I don't have a solution for it. So I'm just like, I'm, uh, I'm complaining about something. <laughs> like I, But I don't know what you would do differently.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like in part, like it's like your parents did a good job, right? Like part of it is on the parents to be able to kind of open doors. And I have kids myself and like we try to do that. And, and oftentimes you try to open a door and they're like, no, thanks, dad. That's not where I want to go. But as long as you keep opening them, that's kind of what it feels like you have to do, because I don't think they're going to get it from school most of the time.
1: Yeah. My parents were very, their opinion on like what, what, how to raise a kid was as long as you're getting A's, you can do anything else. Right. If you do something that affects your grades and affects your opportunities to get into a good college, or then you are not allowed to do that anymore. So I, everything that I did extracurricularly, Ooh, that's a complicated word. Is um, <laughs> not
0: as complicated as improviser by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was all predicated on on having good grades, and that's an awesome, I mean like good for them. They're like, yeah, we'll drop our kid off at midnight in a comedy club in Chicago so that she can do comedy until 1:30 in the morning as a child. Uh, as long as on Monday, she's wide awake, goes to school and gets good grades. I mean, that's that's wild. And they would literally drop me off like it wasn't.
0: They didn't stay.
1: No, they didn't stay. Oh, my God. That
0: <laughs> crazy. That's unbelievable.
1: But also nobody at the because I had talked to the owner of the club. Right. So when I showed up that Friday, She was like, oh, hey, and brought me in. And there was not a period where I was carted.
0: Right. right. So
1: also it was illegal for me to be there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a pretty awesome owner, though, especially did you did you stay friends with her?
1: No, we were never close. I'm sure she would. uh, She knows who I am and I know who she is, though. The truth is that I think COVID shut down that theater permanently.
0: Oh, that's too bad.
1: Yeah, it had expanded to Los Angeles. It was called Improv Olympic, then called I.O. And it expanded to LA. The LA branch failed. And then the Chicago branch was uh, was shut down by COVID.
0: Oof. That's too bad. One of the things that I think is interesting about comedy is that it's about how you explore the different angles on a possible subject, right? So like you have a subject, take whatever it is, I don't know, grass or 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 outside and you start thinking about like different ways you could approach that subject and you find different angles on it. How do you train your head to kind of go to the not safe space so that you kind of pick up a, a choice that is different and unique?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't like I, I, you aren't thinking of the way you're thinking when you're thinking. So, you know, on any given topic, I don't know, there's an archetype of like the sad comedian or the callous comedian or that every comedian has like a dark, something dark in their past that then uh, affects the way they view the world. And to some degree, I think that that is not untrue. I don't know that it is a prerequisite, but I do know that a lot of comedians have a sort of detachment. And I think that detachment provides you a distance to be able to explore ideas in a way that might be vulnerable for somebody who doesn't have that set of, you know, calluses. The flip side to that is that I'm not certain that like, there are very few comedy writers who can then go into drama because it puts you in an emotional space that you don't necessarily engage with as a comedian.
0: That's really interesting. I've never thought about that, but that's actually an interesting because I've known a a fair amount of comedy writers in my life and I've written comedy too. And it is a mind shift, right? Like you really have to get in back into that we were talking about as a child, like into that play space because everything weirdly in comedy is possible, even like super off the charts things that you would never consider in real life. But when you do write drama or you're writing things that are supposed to connect with people on an emotional level, it's a really different sort of reaching for things, you're reaching for much different ideas and you're reaching for much different emotions. Anyway, I think this is something that I've been trying to get to in the heart of this podcast, which is a little bit about how people use creativity to discover new things and how their brains have kind of trained them to kind of think about and discover different stuff. So before we get into your topic, which we're going to start in a second, the one question I'll have for you is, is how do you find new things in the world? Like, is there is there a world, when you find a new discovery, something you kind of get into, for, for instance, like we'll talk about your topic in a second, but is there a way that you recognize in your brain that something has taken hold, like an idea has taken hold?
1: Well, I used to think that I was largely in control of my own curiosity but the older i get the more i am aware that it is algorithmically delivered to me so
0: let me hear about this i'm really curious to know what you think about this because i kind of agree now
1: so i love video games right um and i read about video games online and my major portal to the world is online like i don't spend a lot a ton of especially in the last few years I don't spend a lot of time in public spaces, sort of enjoying the serendipity of like going into a bookstore and accidentally seeing a book. But the truth is that bookstores are curated too. Like bookstores are curated by human beings who are either dependent on the publishing companies to be able to provide them with the books at a a fair price, or they are educated in certain systems. And so they are attracted to certain authors and have been introduced to those authors, which is another form of sort of like algorithmic introduction, but I'm super into video games, right? And I'm super into video games and old technology. And then I start investigating old technology and I get into mini discs, right? Because mini discs were something that I loved when I, you know, 20 years ago, and uh, never really had the, the money to be able to buy at the time. But now a lot of mini disc tech is super inexpensive. And so I get into mini discs and then mini discs are feeding me online. The kinds of bands that publish on mini discs still are a certain kind of band. And so I get into that kind of music. And I think, oh my God, I'm really like, Carving my own path into like a new niche, and I, I research how to fix mini disc players, and I'm fucking walking around like I buy a, a circa two thousand two laptop so that I can record my own. Oh minidisc. my god! And then I find a forum on uh, Reddit, like a like a subreddit about mini disc, or a website for for one of the band publishers, and everybody on there is exactly like me. Like, I am not expressing any form of individuality. I am a funnel of information that is being captured by the internet and then distilled into a point to introduce me into uh, new fandoms and new communities. And it has nothing to do with my choice.
0: That is fascinating. That is a really interesting theory. And do you think it's because of the internet? Do you think the internet has kind of driven that? Is that why fandoms have exploded in that way?
1: Well, I think what the internet does, because like the internet is a, it's a feedback loop, right? Yep. So I'm sure that if the internet didn't exist and I was hanging out at retro video game stores, that the people at retro video game stores would eventually introduce me to mini disc technology and mini disc bands. And all the internet is doing is capturing that if you like this, then you'll like this. And- formatting it so that it is a single capitalist advertised experience and then presenting you with your identity that is prepackaged by the average of what people who like the things you like, like. So that's how I'm introduced to new stuff.
0: So Heather, this is a good transition into your topic because I think that this kind of gets at a little bit about how new things come up in our brains. But before we do this, let's get into this. Um, Heather, please state your name and tell me what you're way too interested in.
1: So my name is Heather Ann Campbell. Just Heather is my name by address. Is that What is that? how it, you may address me as Heather? I'm not Heather Ann. <laughs> yeah, well, my name enough. is Heather Ann Campbell. And I am way too interested in sneaker culture.
0: Great. Okay. So this is really cool. I am interested in it too. I'm not a deep, deep expert at all in it. So we're going to talk to our, our expert, Michael, but let's talk about kind of a, you know, kicking off with what you just said. How did you get into this? How did you get into sneaker culture?
1: Well, I think it's the same way. I think it's algorithmically. I think that you like video games and anime, like I do love it. Then you're shown a lot of cars that are tuned and have like fancy interior LED lighting with like anime graphics on the side. And then part of the video game and anime culture is also like the orbits are things like Funko Pop collectibles, <laughs> and, yep, which I am not into. But you, I get shown that shit all the time. So it's, it's, it's a collectibles culture, right? Yep. And collectibles... Uh, And the commodities of collecting, like you purchase something, leave it in the box, and then 10 years later it's worth X amount of money, has, I think, bled into everything, including sneaker culture. So... As I'm experiencing stuff online, I'm also being shown, you know, some links on my fucking Instagram are like ComplexCon or Hypebeast. And so I'm like, okay, these are, this is cool shit. And because Hypebeast sometimes covers anime, I subscribe to their newsfeed and then they introduce me to sneakers and I go to the local sneaker shop, which is Undefeated. And I'm looking at sneakers that I've seen Algorithmically presented to me, and I'm like, "Wow, these are these are great. Why am I wearing shitty shoes all the time?"
0: <laughs> and then you meet those people in undefeated, and I, you know, in New York, it's a different one. Um, what is it, Flight Club?
1: Flight Club. And you yeah.
0: you meet those people there. And there's in Flight Club, there's a beautiful glass box behind which is the Grail sneakers, and you're like, "Whoa, people pay." $2,000 for a pair of sneakers from 1997. And then you suddenly are introduced to this idea that, wow, this is cool. This is interesting. And then it's literally a rabbit hole that you can fall into like anything else. Right. So, so once you got into this space, did you go buy a pair of sneakers first or do you, do you have a collection yet? Or are you just dabbling at this point?
1: I am dabbling, but have a small collection. So I was in a a, a basketball league, right? Uh, like a municipal basketball league here in LA. And once I had gone to Undefeated and Undefeated had been like, hey, if you really like this brand neighborhood, you should check out this store, Bodega, downtown. So I went to Bodega and Bodega was like, oh, you need to go to this store and this store and this store. And I was like, oh shit, I could get the shoes in my basketball league. I could wear like, Air Jordans from 1998, right? Uh, like all I have that's, to do but, is- But
0: should you? <laughs> Shouldn't you? Like well, th- so that's th- the question is like, do you? Or do you just put them in the box and watch them?
1: I do. I, if there are, there are, I have, I think two pairs of sneakers that I haven't worn and the rest of them I wear because of, I, I love, like I don't buy video games and leave them in a package. I play them and I'm not interested in, in sneakers so that I can make money off of them, I'm interested in them. I mean, like, yeah, sure. if, if somehow I managed to get a pair of sneakers it was a thousand dollars, I would leave it in the fucking box and I'd put it inside of like a Tupperware, like <laughs> in the basement, away from light. <laughs> but I'm not into it that far yet, which is I think why I'm on this show is because it's like, oh, this is a cool thing, and I'm kind of getting into it. but I don't that's as far as I've gotten.
0: Okay, that's fair. Well, we're gonna go to break soon. I'm um, gonna bring Michael on. What What are some quick Quickly, what are some things you kind of want to know from him before we hear from him?
1: Okay, I want to know how this happened. <laughs> I want to know, like, what not to me, but to the industry. Like, what was like the major turning point? in sneakers where somebody was like, hey, like what was the company that, the was it Flight Club, for example, that started exploiting this growing market or was it uh, more an underground experience that then was corporatized? I want to know like what the like top three, as of record, like the top three Grail sneakers are in case... I don't know. I'm in an antique store in Montana <laughs> and <Yeah>. somebody's like <laughs> somebody's drunk. papered them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that shit happens in games. Like you'll be oh, at sure. like a you'll be at like a goodwill and and it'll be like, fuck, this is like a 500 dollars game and they yeah. got it for five bucks.
0: How did Japanese Earthbound get to Goodwill in Montana? <laughs> yeah. Uh that's awesome. Well let's let's uh let's go to break and we'll come back with Michael in a quick second here. So thanks. Uh we'll we'll come right back.
2: Wait to winter
0: rested. All right. We'll be right back with our guest, Michael Sykes, who is an expert on sneaker culture, writes for USA Today and has a show for USA Today called Special Delivery. But first, as always, I want to recommend something to you that I found really inspiring or interesting in the middle of the of the show. Um, today, actually, I just saw some really cool news. Um, my friend Amir Thompson, aka Questlove, just got nominated for an Oscar for his amazing documentary, Um, So I'm going to recommend that today. If you haven't seen it, the full title is Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. And it's an incredible um, documentary, a music documentary about a festival in Harlem. I think it was in the 60s. and I I I don't even know how to explain it other than like it's some of the most incredible music performances I've ever seen tied into um, the story of the history of that time And it's so well-made and so smart, and I just can't recommend it more highly. So please check it out. It's on Hulu. It's called The Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. And uh, yeah, my friend Questlove just got nominated for a documentary. That's uh, got nominated for an Oscar. That's so cool. All right. Let's get back to our uh, conversation here. Um, Michael will be joining us. Michael um, Sykes, again, from USA Today. uh, And we're going to talk about sneaker culture. All right, so we're really excited to have uh, Michael Sykes here. Um, Michael uh, covers sneaker culture for, I I think, for your job, right, Michael?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, honestly, because I never thought that I'd be covering sneakers for for actual work, but I cover sneakers for uh, USA Today. We have a sneaker unboxing show called Special Delivery, where I literally unbox sneakers for work, which is like... Like, I, I literally, like, it's crazy. And then I have my own um, independent newsletter called the, uh, the kicks you Wear, where I write about the the sneaker, footwear, and athletic apparel industry and, and sort of the intersections that, that it hits, whether it's tech, business, uh, health, w- whatever it is.
0: Well, so before I, I let Heather um, kind of ask you all of her questions, can you just kind of tell me how you got interested in this? Like, what, what started you on this journey?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I always wanted to be a a sports journalist, right? Like that was that was my my main goal growing up. Like I wanted to be, um, you know, Stephen A. Smith, Jan- Jamel Hill, uh, Michael Smith on ESPN. Like I wanted to be that person, but it turned out that like at a certain point, I, I feel like the industry was like it, it kind of turned right where like the internet. Obviously, like it's a big place and a lot of people are interested in a lot of different things. And so for your voice to to sort of get through the noise and, and break through, you have to, to sort of find your own niche. Right. And so I'm a sneakerhead, like I've always loved sneakers. And one day I decided that, you know what, like, I think if I cover basketball, from a a footwear business perspective like that's weird enough that maybe somebody will read it someday so I, i tried my hand at that um covered uh various like sneaker contracts with players like um john wall uh his um adidas deal that went south uh kyrie irving lebron james like just just covering those things learning more and more about the industry and um, sort of just sharing what I learned with the people and in, in my audience. And, and now here I am unboxing sneakers for a living. It's, it's crazy.
0: That is awesome. All right, Heather, uh, jump in. Let's hear what you got.
1: Well, I'm not going to start where you think I'm going to start because I need to ask Mike if those are – Naruto posters behind him. If that's Sasuke and Itachi, and-
2: absolutely. So that's Sasuke and Itachi. You see, uh, Jiraiya and uh, Sage Mode Naruto right there. Uh-huh. I've, got, I've got Boruto right there and Kawaki. Then I got one more Sasuke right there. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Naruto nerd.
0: It's the anime, anime sneaker culture crossover. We were just talking oh, about yeah. that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that show so much. <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> things that has ever been made by human beings. So I guess my yeah my first question is what happened? What happened? Uh, when when do you think? I mean, not that I'm asking you to point to a, a specific moment in time when things transitioned from hey we're we're wearing sneakers to we're buying sneakers for their future investment potential. Like, what do you think was the shift?
2: yeah, so I mean sneakers have like it, it it's always been uh, this sort of subculture right until recently, right like where you have people who are like feverish about these things, these shoes that they love from um you know 1985 when uh, the Jordan One first came out and people were going crazy over it initially to to like now. Like where you you once again have Jordan ones that are that are back in their prime after you know being a, a clearance item for for so long, and it's it's like that that mid two thousands area I would say where like there was kind of a shift where you saw these sneakers that were were limited being dropped by different brands, but in particular um, Nike and and I would say Nike SB in particular with with the Nike Dunk because of how. Different those sneakers were, and, and how they managed to capture people's attention. And I think um, the, the one release that I kind of always go back to is Jeff Staples' original pigeon dunk release, right? Where like this, this, this shoe that was releasing literally incited a riot in, in New York City because there just weren't enough pairs and there were more than enough people trying to get them. And so, like, you literally had people breaking down windows to get into this store. Um fighting each other and 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 kind of just trying to get this this pair of shoes, right? and and so, like, I think right then and there is when um you see these footwear companies, these corporations seeing that, oh, you know, like there there is a, a fever pitch demand for these sneakers. and this is something that we can we can capitalize on uh, moving forward into the future because like b- before that point, people loved sneakers right but like i don't think we had tangibly seen it in that that sense in that um in in a, in, in a quite as big of a moment i guess as uh, as we we saw with with that riot like that was that was insane
0: do you know around what time that was like what what year it was
2: i want to say it was 2005 i okay. want to say it's, it's it's in that like 04 to 06 time period right where like you you're you're coming off of the end of um, Michael Jordan's uh, basketball career. And, and so, like, you, you've still got the Jordan line, obviously, and it, it's still popular, but like, people are trying to find new things to, to get into in the sneaker culture. People are trying to find new waves. And, and like, the dunk was one of those new waves. And um, I, I don't know. And it, it, it might not even necessarily just be that one moment, but that is the moment for me that I kind of go back to and say, like, man, this is, this is kind of when everything changed.
1: So, do you think that it was sneakers limited availability that then drove other industries to do drops? Like was, were sneakers the place that started Supreme having short windows of like when their materials are available and then, I, you know, I collect Gundam and I have to like wait for a pre-order drop to get like a, a an edition of a fucking robot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so it's hard for me to say, honestly, because like, I am so like, I, I feel like I kind of project myself when I say this, but, but I, I, I do feel like sneaker culture is what, what sort of started the drop, right? Like this is what, what popularized it. They, they showed other industries that, that this can work just because you have a limited product like that doesn't mean that you're limited in the way that that you market it right like you can you can still push this product you can still have people going crazy over this product and and it will work in your benefit even if you're not necessarily selling as much no maybe you don't make as much money on the initial drop with this thing but like moving forward you now have a ton of free marketing from just word of mouth which which is like something you mentioned supreme like Supreme was really good at this. Like they they, they knew just how to catch people's attention with like a brick, right? Like Supreme would make their own brick and and push that out to the public. And like people would tweet about it and be like, yo, like what the fuck is it? This is a brick. Like why are people actually trying to buy this? But then like it'll bring attention to the rest of the collection. It'll bring attention to future Supreme drops where they're dropping like Oreos and toothpaste and other weird random stuff like that, right? And, and so like I, I think sneaker culture and the, um, the companies that, that sort of project this stuff and, and, and push it forward. Like that, that is, that is where th- this drop culture s- sort of started for me. Uh, particularly, like you said, like Supreme, I think they were kind of the masters of this early and, and that everybody is just kind of getting on board with that. And, and now we're seeing it on a larger scale to where like you've got every, everyone's doing this. Like everyone has these, these different drops. It's really crazy. Do you, how
0: much do you think of it? We were talking earlier a little bit about how that sometimes these obsessions we have feel kind of like driven by the, weirdly, the algorithm of what the internet kind of feeds you. One of the things I'm always interested with, like limited drops and how people respond to them is part of it is about, I got to get this now. And it's not as much about, I love this thing. Do you feel like there's like kind of a trade off there? Like, cause I think when I look at sneakers, it's like a lot of things, like you, Heather mentioned Funko Pops earlier, or even things like NFTs now. It's like so much of it is about this like desire to like get the thing that other people want. How much of sneaker culture is about that versus about the actual product?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? So, like, I think today status signaling and like flexing on people like literally flexing on people with what you have is like more that's more the incentive these days and in, in sneaker culture and in collecting in general right because like it can be like you said art right, funko pops nfts uh naruto posters right whatever it is like you want people to know that like yo i i've got this i am a person of culture i spent such and such amount of money on this thing and and like you know, I'm I'm cool. You know what I mean? And and so like, well, well, honestly, to me, like it it it's mostly that these days, and 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 much less about yo. Know, I I really appreciate the the story that comes with this this item or the symbol that 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 it represents to me, or 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 you know the the moment in time that I first discovered it. Right, like people don't really care about that. They they just want to kind of be in with with the trend. It's like it, it's it's sort of like FOMO, honestly. Like you don't want to. You don't want to miss out on on the thing. And, and, and these companies play to that really, really well.
1: In some industries, scalping is seen as like the bane of the market's existence. Like people show up at Target three days ahead of time, buy every PS5 and then put it on eBay. Or StockX now has like a technology tab where you can get PlayStation games. Do you think that Websites like Grailed or StockX are necessary for this industry to continue forward, or do you think that they are detracting from the industry?
2: I think it's a little bit of both, honestly, Heather. Like, I it it feels to me like there's a lot of give and take with platforms like that that are uh, that give people access to the secondary market, right? Because the thing about it is, and and speaking from like a sneaker standpoint, right? Like, there are a lot of shoes that you would have to Go back, dig through the back rooms of, of stores that aren't even open anymore to find, right? And and like finding those sneakers is, is not easy, but now, 2022, you, you just pull up StockX right now, type it in, and it might be there, right? Like you, you can find the SKU anywhere on the internet. And that's a blessing for a lot of collectors, right? Because while it might cost a lot, this shoe is is not available to you otherwise and so like if you can find a way to get it out of somebody else's basement who's not not wearing it or is just holding it then you're going to do it if you're really passionate about about this stuff and and once again if you want to want to flex that hard right but there there's also the thing like like you guys are talking about with with the PS5s right where like this just dropped, right? Like this just <laughs> this just released. Why is this going for, for double what it was at retail when, when this just came out? Like, why should I have to pay as the, the average everyday consumer who you know, maybe I'm a parent that just wants to buy my kid? Why do I have to pay this excess amount to to do that? Like every Saturday on uh, Nike Sneakers app when, when people don't buy whatever shoe it is that that they want to buy. You can go right to the sneaker, or go right to StockX. Rather, matter of fact, StockX will actually send you an email saying that hey, this <laughs> you didn't get this. <laughs> this yeah. shoe just dropped, and and it's right here. You can come get it for for <laughs> such and such amount, right? And and like it's like yo, like that's so annoying for so many collectors because it's like man, like this shoe isn't even. It's not even special. Like if you get it, like the, for example, the um. Nike's panda dunks, right? Like the just the black and white dunks that came out at, at the beginning of uh 2021. Like this is a normal regular shoe, black and white colorway. Like it is the most simplistic shoe you could you could buy on the market right now. And honestly, like wearing them, the quality is not that great, but they are selling for $300 right now <laughs> on StockX as opposed to $100 that they sold at, at retail. And it's because th- that shoe was, was so limited when it dropped. And when, when somebody gets it, it's like, okay, like I could wear this, but I can also put it on the market for three times what it was worth in the first place and, and make a little bit of scratch on, on the back. So it, it's, it's, it's a lot of give and take with that, I would say.
0: so Michael, I want to step back a little bit in terms of let's outside of the collecting, like the kind of like stock acts of it all, because that's such a fascinating part of this, like for somebody who's an actual like lover of the, of, of sneakers, like what w- what drew you into it? And then also, like, I think, like, what are the sneakers that you love the most?
2: Man, so my favorite silhouette of all time is the Nike Dunk. Like, I there goes some right there in the background. Like, I have some more sitting right next to me. Like, it's it's my favorite shoe um, of all time. But, like, what, what drew me in, honestly, was just, it was honestly just the feeling of unboxing my first pair of shoes after I bought it with, with my own money. Right. Like it, it, it's like, I never wanted that feeling to go away. I remember it was the, um, the Jordan Aqua eights, which I also have on, on the, uh, the rack back there. And, and this Maybe was How trip. many, how many shoes do you have on the rack back there? You should tell uh, everybody. There are probably, I would say that there's probably a good 50 or 60 pairs back here. So it's not like crazy, but it's a, it's a, it's a solid number. It's not like, I don't have like a sneaker rope or anything like that, where I have like a, a temperature controlled system where I'm like, I'm not that, that uh, crazy about it, but, but no. So it was the, the Aqua 8 back in 07. And like I spent the entire summer just cutting grass and cleaning my parents' house and, and doing whatever I needed to do to to make an allowance to, to save up to buy this pair of shoes. And it was November. I bought them. I, I, Wore them into the ground. <laughs> honestly, like I played basketball in them. I I did everything in them, and and I probably shouldn't have because it was a great pair of shoes. It it was <laughs> the first pair of shoes that I bought with my own money, so I was extremely happy with it, man. I just remember that feeling, and it was a feeling I never wanted to to let go. And, and so like I I still carry that feeling with me every time I I open a new pair of shoes. It's like ah oh, man, this is great. Like I I just can't let that go. Honestly, it's it's really an addiction, an addiction. Honestly
1: you said uh temperature controlled rooms two part question is that a thing that people do and then secondly how do you preserve the quality of your sneakers like are are there they're like charcoal bags that you can put inside of them there's special sprays that you can is that stuff bullshit or is that real
2: no no, no. that's a real thing that's a real thing there are definitely people with like because because honestly the the shoes the longer that you have them like the the more where they'll have like they, they'll oxidize and and turn yellow and like crumble on you so like the thing is like with those you have to keep them in cooler temperatures right and, and sort of out of the light and if you don't then it's like any other piece of clothing right like if you don't wear it if you just let it sit and you don't really take care of it like it'll break down and and so like people definitely have temperature control rooms that they keep their sneakers in and like Big respect to those folks, man. Like, I I can't do it. I, I don't have a huge sneaker collection or, or like relatively speaking, I guess. I don't have a huge sneaker collection because like I'm not a person who likes clutter. So when I have too many sneakers, like I'll start selling, I'll start giving them away. I'll I'll dish some off to my brother who wears the same size as me. But like, I don't think I'll ever be in a space where I have more than 60 or 70 pairs at a time. And even like that, it's like, ah, it's like cringy to me kind of. Um, what was your, what was your second question? I'm sorry.
1: Well, just the, the protective sprays, the like cedar or charcoal bags that you put inside of them. Are there things that you would recommend for preservation or is all that stuff gimmicks?
2: No, I mean, it's not, it's not gimmicks, but you have to like be consistent with it, right? Like when you, when you wear a pair, like if you clean them every single time that you wear them, like your shoes will, will last for a long time. Like I've had those Aqua Eights. Now I bought those in 2015, and I mean they're still in pretty good condition. They they look like I, I I didn't I haven't worn them at all, and I wear them all the time. Like it's it's just a a matter of consistency and and nurture, right? So like you can get protective sprays that uh, waterproof your sneakers and and keep dirt off of them. You can put there are like eggs that you can put not like literal eggs, but like refreshers that that you can put in the sneaker box to to keep them from um to absorb the moisture out of them right and and keep them dry and keep them smelling fresh for for as long as you're you're, you're wearing them right it, it, there there's a number of things that you can do to sort of get the most wear out of out of your kicks and and like I I feel like a lot of people don't really go into that because I don't think that they actually love their kicks like that but then then too there are a lot of people who who do so
0: well, can I ask you a question? Like, I know Heather was, we were talking about this earlier. Is like if you're gonna say the what is the what are the Grail sneakers right now in the world? Like what are the like top three Grails? Is that is there a top three Grails? Like are there sneakers that like everybody says this is the one or these are the few that everybody wants?
1: I also just wanna point out that it's funny to think of Grails as like more than one. That like <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're like, no, well, there's the holy grail, but there's these other cool grails. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. So like, <laughs> like honestly, it's it's kind of subjective right cuz like i i think i feel like the the term grill has kind of like transformed over the years where like a grill what it used to be was a shoe that like you wanted but but you couldn't get and it wasn't because it was like unavailable or or like too expensive but it it was just like unattainable for whatever reason like maybe it didn't drop in your area or maybe it's something that know maybe there were like two or three pairs of it ever that that dropped right and and so like or or maybe it wasn't in your your time period right so like it it it, there there were a number of shoes that like people would just call grails like i would love to own this shoe but but i probably never will but like now i feel like grails are are just sneakers that that people sort of have on their list that that they want to buy at some point and they're like they're there they're attainable they just have to actually like do it and and cop the shoe but i i would say that like for me grail pairs would be the original a a pair of original jordan ones from 1985 like first of all is i i feel like on every sneakerhead's list is is a pair of those like if you have a grail pair
0: yeah, do they exist? Like I mean, I'm sure they exist, but oh, like yeah. are there boxed versions of those that still exist? Like yeah, for sure. brand new? Interesting. For sure.
2: Yeah. For sure. There are, there are, there are pairs that are that are unworn, brand new, taken care of. Like would you, should you wear them? Probably not. Like that's something that you should put in like a glass case and and just like watch it for, forever. <laughs> like it's because as soon as you put it on, like it it could potentially crumble, like you'll you'll ruin it. Like and, and maybe it doesn't, but like I also wouldn't take that chance. You know what I mean? Another one for me is the um the Paris Dunk that also came from that like 04 to 06. Uh, that actually might have been a little bit earlier than that. It was like one of the first SB Dunks that dropped and it's 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 a beautiful shoe, man. Like it is it, it's it's incredible. It's it's going for like 20k on StockX right now. I'll yeah. never get it. Yeah, I'll never get wow. it. But, but it's but it's it's that's it's a Honda incredible. Accord.
1: Wait, it's like a it car. Right. A, I need to Google this shoe real quick. I need to make sure <laughs> it's I know right. what's it called. The, the, the Paris, the Paris. Paris yeah,
2: it's, it's uh the Paris dunks, man. It's like they they are a, a fantastic shoe. It's just like art all over it.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful shoe.
2: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, another grill. I would say I can't think of a third one for me personally.
0: But it sounds like the uh, grails are uh, uh, sometimes can be a personal choice in this space, right? Like it's really kind of what you respond to.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why it's subjective. It's like everyone doesn't have like the same ones. Everyone doesn't have the, the same taste, but like everyone has pairs that they know that like if I could chase these down, if I had a lead and I had the money to get this, then then I would for sure do it.
1: Yeah. There was a point where I was like, Oh, I might be getting serious about this when I was researching proxies services in asia to get me a faster ping (laughs) on a drop i was like
2: what is happening to to me
0: (laughs) 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 my thing was the nike app the nike app i got into and i was like god damn it i didn't get in again it was like that you have to like push the button so fast yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah. you gotta move fast that's the thing I, i feel like heather like everyone every one of us has had one of those episodes where it's like oh man like I'm gonna bot this shit out. Like I can't, I can't just, <laughs> I can't, I can't take this anymore. Like, so, so you you do all your research and then you find out that like bots are also very, very expensive. It's like, you know, for, for good bots, like you could pay up to, I don't know. I've seen bots that, that have cost like $10,000 for upkeep every year.
1: Like, wow. and, and it's
2: like, it's not a guarantee that, that you're going to get the pair, even if you bought it, like so, sometimes your orders will get c- canceled. Like sometimes. Your invoices just don't go through. It's like it's it's a whole mess. So so you just decide to not not do this, not be that that person, and uh, and ruin the experience for everyone else. But um, but yeah, we've all had that episode.
1: For for people who are listening who don't know this, I'm going to explain in a way that I understand it, and if I'm wrong, then you guys can correct me. Which is that when these uh, sneakers drop or release uh, on a, on an app. You have to both press purchase and fill out all of the information and confirm your uh, your purchase before all of them sell out. So people have used programs called bots to be able to do this as fast as possible or refresh the page a million billion times in order to access the drop and get it into your cart and then buy it. Is that right? That's accurate. Yes. That's very accurate. Nailed very it. Nailed yeah, it.
2: You definitely did
0: and it's also, by the way, bots are affecting like everything in this space, right? Like, and, and it really has changed the way I think people look at purchasing things. And also, like, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Michael, is about sneakers were kind of an entry point to this idea of like collecting for money for a lot of people, right? Like, I know, you know, 14 and 15 year olds who do this as a business now. Do you see that as a positive thing in general? Or like, what's your take on the kind of like, you know, business side of the collection of all this
2: um I'm not honestly sure if it's like a positive or a negative right because I'm never gonna knock anybody's hustle right like I, I understand that they're like there are occasions where people do this stuff because this is the way that they make their living and and I am not the sort of person who likes to tell somebody that they can or cannot do whatever their job is right like if this is your job then then like okay Cool. But at the same time, like you definitely are ruining this for a lot of people. Like you'll have a lot of people who just I've seen so many people over the last few years who are just like, yo, I cannot do this shit anymore. Like it'll literally eat at your soul every Saturday if you wake up. Like like serious like there are times in like my fiance will attest to this. There are a times are times or have been times in my life where I've just like not hit on a sneakers drop and have just like completely shut down for the rest of the day. I'm just like, this is too frustrating. It's too frustrating for me. It's, it's too debilitating. And like, you have to like literally delete the apps, unfollow the, the sneaker, the sneaker Twitter accounts. Like you, you just have to stay away from it because it is so frustrating. And it's not even that you don't get the shoes. It's like, it's a pair of shoes. Like I can, can live with or without these. It's just the, the fact that you know that like, I mean, it, it feels like everything is is sort of against you. Right. Like it's like you, you've you got all these forces between the, the limited stock from from the brands. And then you've got botters out there and then you've got the regular people like you who are also trying to get these shoes. And it's just like a recipe for disaster that you just willingly bang your head against every single week. And it's like enough, man. Like how much more can you take?
0: I remember one of I missed one drop off the Nike app and I don't I, I like Heather just kind of dipped into this a little bit, but I, I went on Twitter immediately to complain and there were like hundreds of people like me and I felt at least part of something, dude. You know I mean I felt like part <laughs> of this part of this group of people that like missed out. And then you feel a community in that way as well a little bit too
2: yeah that's the thing right that that is the the thing with with nike and and how they've done this like they've sort of turned it into a a a game honestly like they've they've sort of gamified sneaker culture this way where like you say you you missed out and you got the um didn't get them screen right so like people take the screenshot of that post it to to twitter and say oh i got another l damn this sucks and then like there are Twenty other people who have, have have the same experience as you, right? And and so now, like you're all talking about your experience. You're talking about what you're going for next. You're, you're talking about uh, what what else you could buy as as opposed to to these sneakers that you just missed out on, right? And and so like from there, like you're kind of just giving. Nike, that guerrilla marketing, right? That that word of mouth, that free press, that that we talked about earlier, right? And so it's like whether you you win or you lose in in these raffles, like it, it's a win for for these companies every single time, right? Which is which is like I think the brilliant part of it for for them, but like that's also the worst part of it for us because I, I feel like the consumer sort of accentuates all of this and and and. And pushes it forward to make it even harder moving forward into the future to get a lot of these things.
1: I have to ask you, Mike, given that you have Naruto posters on your back wall, do you own any of the Naruto crossover or any anime crossover? For example, like do you own the Dragon Ball Adidas or uh the Michael B. Jordan coach Naruto shoes? Like, do you do you collect sneakers? separate from your love of anime or do you sometimes blend the two
2: i mostly keep it separate like i have some naruto shirts and i i had the um the the goku adidas joints and i i think i also i had the frieza young ones which which is like my favorite from that collection but I, i've since given them away but I, I don't know it's it's not that like the anime stuff that they do is bad to me it's just that like <laughs> It it, it just doesn't really like, I don't know. It never really connects with me. It's like, I'm, I'm such a nerd about these things. I'm like, yo, like if you don't do it perfect, then I'm not getting that shit. Like I can't do it. (laughs) That's awesome. Honestly.
0: Hey, I have one uh, more question, which is if you saw somebody who's brand new to this, say somebody who kind of is interested in this a little bit, but doesn't know where to start,
2: what's a good starting spot? Don't start. (laughs) I don't know, man. Like I, it, I feel like I hear this question a lot, and like I never really know how to answer it because because like part of it is like, yo, why would you want to subject yourself to this? But but I also feel like you have to like I I understand that there are people who want to be a part of this. There are people who actually still enjoy sneakers, like I do, right? And I don't want to turn anyone away from that experience. So like the 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 best advice I think I can give is for you to not get caught up in, in the, the hype machine that, that you see on the internet every day, as difficult as that is, especially if you're a person who is extremely online, like I am, like it's, it's very hard to avoid that stuff. Like you see it on your Instagram feeds. Like if you go to my explore page right now, there's just a ton of new balance because I Google one pair of 990 V3s. Right. And, and so like, it's, it's just always there in front of your face. Right. But like kind of have to pace yourself you have to buy the things that you actually like instead of the things that everyone says are cool because you'll save yourself a lot of money that way number one but also you'll save yourself from a lot of headaches right like you won't subject yourself to the constant l's you won't subject yourself to the the feeling of of failure um you know even though it's 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 sneakers right like you you probably shouldn't care this much about it but like you will like that's, that's what they want you to, to, to feel. Right. And and that's how this, this thing works. So if you can just stay away from that as, as best as possible and just sort of remain centered and, and even, then, then I think you're in good shape. If you can't, then you'll just end up like me.
0: <laughs> that's good advice in general. I feel like just stay yeah. centered.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Heather, do you have any other questions for Michael?
1: Yeah. I want to know Mike, if you, so let's say that you got to do a a collab with with any of the major sneaker companies which one would you choose and what would your colorway be
2: it'd be nike for sure even though me and nike have a little bit of beef right now oh um just gen- generally generally speaking i'm i'm very dissatisfied with the sneakers <laughs> in the way it works like i don't know nike nike's cool man i love nike to death and the dunk is my favorite favorite silhouette ever so it would definitely be a dunk and as far as the colorway, I don't know. That's a good question. It'll probably be something. It, it'll be blue. Let's go blue, black, and um, silver. It's Ooh, silver,
0: that's wow. nice.
2: Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to throw some, 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 some razzle-dazzle in there.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Uh, well, thanks so much for both of you. Oh, before we go, Michael, one thing I ask all my guests, uh, expert guests is, Outside of sneakers, is there something that you're kind of semi-obsessed with that you can't get out of your brain right now?
2: Naruto. <laughs> yes. it's, definitely, yes. it's definitely Naruto. Really, really uh, Boruto now because like- It's good.
1: I, Has it gotten good? Because I, I quit. And should I go back?
2: Okay. I get why you quit. It definitely sucked for like the first year, but yeah. like it's good now. And if you read the manga, like, yo, it it shit just got crazy. It just got crazy.
1: <laughs> okay, great. I'm in. I'll watch it there tomorrow. We go.
2: <laughs> it starts really slow, but like when it starts moving fast, it, it moves really fast.
1: Great.
0: So. That's awesome. Well, thank you both of you. This was great. I really appreciate it. Um, Michael, where can people find you online?
2: Uh, you can follow me on all platforms at Mike D. Sykes. You can subscribe to the kicks you wear at KYW.substack.com. And you can subscribe to uh, Special Delivery at USA Today Sports YouTube page.
0: Great. And then Heather, what about you?
1: On Twitter, I'm at Heather Campbell. On Insta, I'm at Heather Ann Campbell, and on TikTok, I haven't put, I haven't published. It's too intimidating. I haven't ever. <laughs>
0: Don't start. Don't I'm start. there.
1: I'm there, <laughs> but I'm not. I haven't put anything up. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Well, thanks so much to both of you, uh, and we really appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you, Gavin. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, everybody, that's the show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to the Gregory Brothers for my theme song. Thank you to Eric Johnson for helping produce the show. And again, thanks most to you for listening. Um, I really feel like there's a core group of listeners who are growing week to week for this show. So thank you. Please tell other people about the show. Um, You know, I do this right now, and it's it's fun, and it's like it's definitely time uh, time taking, but I really enjoy it, and it, it feeds me in a really interesting way. In the same way that our topics feed our guests. So. Again, just thanks for listening. I'm having a good time and I'll see you next week.